This podcast is sponsored by GoCD, an on-premise, open-source, continuous delivery server by ThoughtWorks. GoCD gives you complete control of and visibility into your deployments across multiple teams. To learn more about GoCD, visit gocd.io slash recode for a free download. This episode is brought to you by mParticle, the API for every marketing and analytics platform. With mParticle, you don't need lots of SDKs bloating your app. It's purpose-built to help brands solve modern data challenges, and mParticle's customer list is a who's who of brands such as Airbnb, Spotify, Hulu, Postmates, and Venmo. Visit mparticle.com slash deco to learn about how mParticle can help your business simplify its app and accelerate growth. Recode Radio presents Recode Decode, hosted by Kara Swisher, powered by digital media. Hi, I'm Kara Swisher, executive editor of Recode. You may know me as an entrepreneur who rents out my extensive collection of Angry Bird t-shirts, but in my spare time, I talk about tech and you're listening to Recode Decode, a podcast about tech and media's key players, big ideas, and how they're changing the world we live in. You can subscribe to Recode Decode at iTunes.com slash Recode Decode, and while you're there, leave us a review. Today in the red chair is Jennifer Hyman, the CEO and co-founder of Rent the Runway, which launched in 2009. The business started online, but now operates brick-and-mortar stores in six cities across the country. Jennifer, welcome to Recode Decode. Hi. Hi. And joining me for the interview with Jennifer is Recode senior commerce reporter Jason Del Rey, who knows more about this topic than I do. Oh, I'm blushing. You can't see it, but I am. (laughs) So we're going to talk about a lot of things. But Jennifer, why don't you first start by talking about, you've been around a long time. You're an oldster in in online commerce, really. I I don't feel that way. All right. We just celebrated our seven-year anniversary. Okay. So So why don't you give people who might not know what you do a background? A lot of people do, but a lot of people don't. Yeah, Rent the Runway. We rent designer clothes, and we have a belief set that half of the closet over time is going to move into the cloud and a portion of what we wear every single day will be comprised of things that we don't own forever. So all a rental means to me is that you don't need it for the rest of your life Mm -hmm. and you can as the customer decide how long you want to use something for. So when we launched seven years ago, we launched a business that was about renting dresses and accessories and handbags for the 28 on average special occasions that women have per year. The reason why we started in that one segment of the $1.7 trillion fashion industry was it was a very easy customer value proposition for people to understand. Women can look at their own closets and think about the events they have in their life, be it a wedding or their sixth bridesmaid dress, and understand that they've bought things, especially dresses that they've only worn once. So we thought if we were introducing a new behavior, which was normalizing this idea of wearing clothes that other people had worn before, which is kind of icky, we needed to do it around something that was really easy to understand. From the industry standpoint, we needed to launch with dresses because it was basically, it's a negative margin business for Mm. department stores, for uh, traditional retailers because w- women have actually been renting the runway illegally for decades. Mm-hmm. So the rate of return, return of dresses ranges from between 35 to 75% in retailers, the more high-end the retailer, the higher the return rate. All right, so rich people Rich buy, people steal more steal than more poor things. people. <laughs> yeah, so, so, they, that so was, they rent them, they, they buy them, and then wear them once, and then return yeah, them. Yeah, so biggest return day of the year is January 2nd, because oh. women have been renting the runway for New Year's forever. Mm-hmm. So that was the first business that we launched, and that business gave us the venture capital funding and the team to be able to build out what we really do, which is all of the technology and logistics to power just-in-time reverse logistics of physical goods, Mm -hmm. meaning that 100% of the dirty clothes that we get back in the morning, we can actually sort them, repair them, dry clean them, assemble them, and send them out to new customers that evening. So we have a zero-day turnaround of physical goods. and That's a lot of dry cleaning, it sounds like. We're the largest dry cleaner in the world, which is business I didn't even think we'd be in. Mm -hmm. And that infrastructure has now allowed us to open up different ways for women to rent. So this year alone, we launched a subscription to fashion called Unlimited, which is about people renting for their everyday lives. And that has 
been the most successful we launch we've ever had. And then actually just two weeks ago, we launched a new subscription product, which is about renting an outfit of the month. So I'm very interested in the subscription idea, partially because you've been working on different iterations of it, I think, for several years. Is that fair or not fair? Well, we had launched a product in beta for a year before we removed the shackles of the wait list and actually launched it to the mass market. I mean, there's, I knew that there would be a concept around having a subscription to fashion, just like we have a subscription to music via Spotify or to entertainment via Netflix. But it didn't actually know what the consumer value proposition should be Mm -hmm. around a subscription to fashion. What I knew is that it wouldn't be like Spotify or Netflix, where the cost of content is so low that you're paying $9.99 a month for access to every song that's ever been produced and written on Earth. So I needed to understand what do people want to have on rotation in their lives every single day. So we actually launched our subscription with something that was cheap for us to do, but customers didn't really like it. It was a subscription to accessories and handbags. Mm -hmm. And basically, customers were like, this is superfluous in my life. So how how did that work? It was the same concept that we have. You pay a monthly fee. You receive three things at a time. You can have unlimited swaps throughout the month. Sure. But the product assortment was not actually additive to anyone's life because right. it didn't allow them to substitute shopping right. for this subscription. Because this was extras. It was extras. Right. So we started going around to our own customer base and our own membership base, of which there's 6 million women. And we learned that 90% of our customers work. And what they really care about is having a subscription of clothing that they can wear to work. Because when they say a subscription to their everyday life, five out of seven days a week, they're going into an office. And they have to feel confident when they go into work. They actually find it extremely expensive to dress in a business casual function. So we also did research with Lean In organization, and we found out that around the year 2000, businesses around the country went business casual. And prior to the year 2000, men... Kara, how yeah. early did you go business casual? <laughs> when I was 12. <laughs> I'm still wearing the same exact clothes. So, Well, you obviously give us all something to aspire to. Uh-huh. Prior to 2000, men and women spent the same amount of their take-home income on dressing for work. It's around 2.5%. Mm-hmm. And then after this kind of cultural revolution changed, where you can now go into McKinsey and not be in a business suit as a woman... Women started spending between seven and a half and ten percent so of their take-home income. a lot more to income. look not as businessy, right? Yeah, it's, it's a not lot. as uniform. Essentially, it's not as uniform. You need more variety. You need more quantity. Right. So all of this time that women have been attacked for vanity, like they're spending more on clothes because it's about you know some superficial requirement, it's actually not. So so when you're talking about this unlimited idea, which is it's not exactly like Netflix, but it is a little like Netflix when you used to borrow CDs from yeah. them in a way because it's physical goods. Do you ever imagine a time where you don't need to buy any clothes, that you just rent them? Like you just, because there are a lot of, there's, you know, I was thinking, again, I'm not the person that you should think about. I literally have had the same clothes for like decades, like the exact same clothes. And so I don't, and I don't chop a lot, but if you're someone who needs, has that need that you're talking about of shifting your clothes constantly at work, do you imagine a time, just like Uber, you wouldn't have imagined a time you didn't need a car that much, but now you really don't in a lot of ways, or or there's lots of iterations of this? Well, I actually think transportation is an amazing category to think about. So it was 80 years ago that we were given the opportunity to lease a car mm-hmm. for the first time. Mm-hmm. And over 50 years ago, we were given the opportunity via Avis and Hertz to take a business trip and rent a car for a few days. Zipcar launched over 20 years ago, and Uber launched seven years ago. Now, at the same time, in transportation, you've had taxis that have been around for, I mean, I think upwards of 80 years. Mm -hmm. You have planes, you have trains, et cetera. And what's interesting about the transportation market is that you're often dabbling in multiple categories. Mm -hmm. So the same person who might own a car is still using Uber, is still using a taxi, still might go to Avis on a business trip and rent a car. And maybe they're shifting the distribution with which they consume all of these products, but it's not either or. Same thing in clothing. 
So we're still in the world of 80 years ago where everything that you own, even though you've had the same clothes forever, everything you've ever had to purchase, you have to own it for the rest of your life. Mm-hmm. And all that Rent the Runway has really done is we've opened up the technology and logistics to make it possible to have the customer decide how long she needs an article of clothing for. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so what I really want to power is what's happened over the last 80 years in the transportation industry. Uber is dealing with the last five minutes Mm -hmm. of the ride. And that is what you can potentially call our on-demand business. Have you you started with the unlimited business with customers who have a lot of disposable income? So, well, I don't know, I often think of it as like the Whole Foods (laughs) shopper. Or who are the women that have been signing up? Yeah, so 60% of the customers to Unlimited, which costs $139 a month and is giving you three items at a time. So women on average are receiving around $40,000 to $50,000 worth of apparel per year for $1,600. The woman who's signing up on average has a household income of $100K and up. So it is, if you look at 18 to 42-year-olds in the U.S. who have that household income, it's about a $15 million person market. So it's certainly not a mass market product at this point in time at 139 a month. Mm-hmm. But I thought it was extremely important given where we were and are in our trajectory of we've you know, attained profitability this year and we wanted to launch a new product that also was profitable and gross margin positive. And you can always reduce prices over time, but it, companies have found it very, very yeah, difficult to, to raise prices. So sure. we started at probably the most expensive price we'll ever have. And my goal is that when every year our logistics get better and better, our COGS reduces so that hopefully we can offer the same value over time at $99 a month, which would really open us up to around 80 million households in the U.S. Right, which is all right. So right now, let's talk a little bit about your economics of this. This is a subscription service, uh, 149, yeah. right? Now, and then you do the regular rentals, which yeah. depend on price and, and yeah. various things like that. Those are the two main revenue drivers for you, correct? Yes. And we'll talk, we'll get to your retail stores in, in the next segment, because you're just here in San Francisco doing that. You've raised how much money? We've raised $130 million. So it's a lot of money with lots of great investors. You have a real range of investors. What is the goal for you of when you think about what you're doing? Because a lot of businesses that are similar to you, even you could even say Dollar Shave Club is a little like, you know what I mean? All these businesses often end up selling or run into big trouble, like a nasty gal or something like that. What, do you, what is your goal from your perspective as a CEO? I mean, I have no desire to sell Rent the Runway. Mm-hmm. I have a... 50-year vision for Rent the Runway, at least, to change consumer behavior and actually put the closet in the cloud. And I think that it actually takes a long time to change consumer behavior to get us from a place where we're buying closets filled with things that we We don't don't use use, to a world where you're being smarter about how you get dressed. Mm -hmm. So even taking music as an example, you know, we look at the last seven or eight years of Spotify in the U.S. and their 10-year growth trajectory since they launched. However, I mean, I was, quote unquote, stealing music from Napster in college 25 years ago. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So we've had the ability to think about music and to consume it differently for a very long time. But people don't think of clothes that way. People don't think of clothes that way. Because we were not, I mean, no one had really built out the logistics to make that possible. In fact, the entire dynamic of the industry is based around getting people to consume more, even though you don't need it. The fast fashion rise. Not even just the fast fashion rise. Look at traditional retail. Traditional retail clears the floor every three months. Why do they clear the floor? They're telling consumers that trends are changing and you need to buy something new. Well. We've debunked that myth on Rent the Runway. We have styles on our site that have been on the site for over seven years. Now, maybe not the same unit because we've had to buy back into things, but we've proven that a great top is a great top. A great dress is a great dress. What consumers actually care about is something being new to them, Mm -hmm. not necessarily being new to the market. So this idea that every three months a store should discard everything they have, put it on sale, and get you to come back in and buy something new is highly irrational. 
the average American is buying 64 new articles of clothing per year, Cara. every single no. year. No, you bought them all. That's average. Yeah. So you, you might one. be one, yeah. but someone else is underwear. buying 200. I did need those, so I didn't need those. So we're gonna, when we get back, we're gonna talk about that. What happens to retail? Because this is like collapsing a lot of industries. What happens when consumption goes down? I was just reading uh, Marie Kondo's latest piece about mm-hmm. happiness and finding joy in your stuff, which I really appreciate. So let's, we want to talk about that. We also want to talk about your forays into retail itself, because you're talking about retail and changing the face of retail, and more with Jenna Hyman from Rent the Runway. GoCD is an on-premise, open-source, continuous delivery server created by ThoughtWorks. With GoCD's comprehensive pipeline modeling, you can model complex workflows from multiple teams with ease. And GoCD's value stream map lets you track a change from commit to deploy at a glance. GoCD's real power is the visibility it provides over your end-to-end workflow, so you get complete control of and visibility into your deployments across multiple teams. Say goodbye to deployment panic and hello to consistent, predictable deliveries. To learn more about GoCD, visit gocd.io recode for a free download. Commercial support and enterprise add-ons, including disaster recovery, are available. Today's show is also sponsored by Oxford Road. Ever wonder how these ads on podcasts work? A startup pays a host like me to read a script about their disruptive product or service. We know you're choosing to listen, and that means you will probably, at the very least, give any product or service we mention serious consideration. But what if you were one of those startups who want to advertise on a podcast? Where do you start? That's where Oxford Road comes in. It's the leading advertising agency in consumer tech. Companies like Dollar Shave Club, MeUndies, Blue Apron, and more started with Oxford Road. Oxford Road engineers ads to perform. They buy media based on over $100 million in performance data, and their world-class analytics and attribution methods give you confidence in every line of performance, just like digital. Go to OxfordRoad.com scale, set up a free analysis, and find out what it would cost you to test ads on a podcast, and maybe the next script I'll be reading will be yours. Go to OxfordRoad.com scale right now. We're here with Jennifer Hyman, the founder, co-founder, and CEO of Rent the Runway, an incredibly successful rental, clothes rental service, lar- aimed at women, largely. Mm-hmm. No, it's 100%. 100% aimed at women. I'm waiting. I'm and, waiting for the jeans <laughs> rental I know, service. And, um, and Jason Del Rey, our senior commerce editor at Recode. And we're talking about where retail is going. And you were just talking about essentially wanting people to buy less stuff from retailers. So what does that do to the market what, when you're thinking about that? Well, amongst women who are 40 and under, 50% of your spend per year on clothing is going towards fast fashion or off price. It's basically going towards things that you're actually only wearing two or three times. Mm -hmm. So I think rental in the easiest component is just a substitution Mm -hmm. for the 50% of your closet that you're only wearing two or three times. Potentially, and and rental is offering that at a much lower price. So either you save that money and you might use it on other things in your life, like paying for school or food or, you know, other things that are important to you. You could also use that money to reinvest in the other side of your closet into things that you might have that last you for 10 years or for 15 years. So it's about kind of rethinking how you build a wardrobe and how you get dressed around smarter choices. You know, I'm not about having a whole uniform that every day is you're wearing the same black, you know, turtleneck and jeans and Mm -hmm. you develop that sort of uniform, I actually think that self-expression comes sometimes from what you wear and having the freedom to be able to wear whatever you want for Mm -hmm. whatever mood you want to wear it, but to not feel frivolous that all of those things that help you self-express have to be things you're committing to forever. So you obviously think, talking about retail, that there are some synergies between your business and big retailers. I think you're in town this week for a a new pop-up store, or you correct me if it's not pop-up, permanent. A permanent store. Permanent store inside of a Neiman Marcus yes. department store. Yeah, we're rolling out Rent the Runway stores in Neiman Marcuses around the country. So explain why that makes sense. Well, number one, we have 6 million customers at Rent the Runway right now who are on average 29 years old whereas uh, Neiman Marcus's average age is 51. 
and that average age. That's a big difference. That's a big difference. And it's not getting younger. Not getting younger. My customers, for the most part, actually don't go into physical retail stores. And they don't want to. They work. They don't have time. And their precious time they do have, they want to spend it in other ways. So we've actually built a store that's actually based around the concept of not having to necessarily have people come into the store. All right, but they go to the store. Well, if they do for a thing. They go for being helped, correct? You can go and book a personal styling appointment with a stylist at Rent the Runway and in 45 minutes try on every outfit you need to wear for that entire year. Mm-hmm. But in that 45 minutes, we expect you to come in once a year, uh-huh. maybe twice a year. Right. We've actually built technology that's very similar to what I would call Prime Now, mm-hmm. where you can real-time now in San Francisco see all the inventory that's available in the store and in one click choose to have it couriered to you to your office or your home. So for me, a store is kind of like a distribution center that's in the center of a city that provides convenience to my customer. Now, why in Neiman Marcus? Well, when you're going to that last yeah, minute event, anywhere? you could, and we're, we're opening up our own flagship stores around the country as well. We just launched our flagship in New York yesterday, actually. So Neiman Marcus wants you to bring people into the stores. Can you explain, you know, you're saying that they don't, you're going to curry their, them to them. They want them to walk up those, you're on the fifth floor, right? So they want mm-hmm. them to walk through the store yes. and see it. That's the goal for yes. Neiman Marcus. So we've found that There are thousands of people that will come into our stores every single week. They'll come in to pick up their order. They'll come in to drop off their order. They'll come for a personal styling appointment. But there is an even bigger segment of people in the market who will never come into a Rent the Runway store, but they'll utilize the fact that we have inventory for them real time in that market. So the traffic that's coming in is actually very interesting to Neiman Marcus because why do they come in to Rent the Runway to pick up their order? They're actually coming in because most of those people are using our on-demand event business. Mm -hmm. They're renting for a holiday party or a wedding in which the stakes are high, and they actually want to try on what they've rented in a dressing room in the store, make sure it fits, have the contingency plan there that if it doesn't fit, they can swap for anything else in the store. And it's the perfect customer for Neiman Marcus because that's a woman who's going to an event. She's ready to spend on cosmetics, on shoes, on potential things. They're hoping to catch them. And we've actually proven over the last two weeks that a huge percentage of the people that are coming in to pick up and drop off their orders are actually buying something else at Neiman Marcus because it's convenient for them to do so. But they're not expecting people to change their buying habits. Your users are never changing their buying habits again. My users right now are shopping primarily at fast fashion. Mm-hmm. So they're shopping at Zara and H&M, and I'm already trying to get them to change their buying habits away from Zara and H&M into basically a competitive, Rent the Runway, in my opinion, is a competitive product to H&M, mm-hmm. it's, but it's at the same fast fashion price point, but the real designer product. So we're hoping that by nature of having women fall in love with designer product that's higher quality at a younger age, that when they do choose to buy the one black cashmere sweater or the great pair of shoes, they will at least have experienced some of these brands before and and make that decision. And Neiman Marcus will be in their consideration set. So I want to talk for a minute about what your investors think of the idea of, of brick and mortar. Because we see in, in the venture capital world around e-commerce and retail, trends come in, trends come out. So sometimes having inventory is a good thing. Sometimes it's not. Sometimes opening stores is a very bad thing. More recently, we've seen physical locations for digital first companies become a thing again. So what was that conversation like with your board and investor group about the opportunity and, and maybe the challenges as well? It was essentially the same as every other investment we've ever made, which was, what's the ROI and prove it to me first. And you better beta this and do it as cheaply as possible initially, prove that there's a real business here, prove what it's going to be. Is this going to be a revenue driver for you? Cost saver? Is it about brand awareness? And I couldn't answer those questions intelligently when we first launched kind of a pop-up in our office two and a half years ago. And then over time, we evolved that beta test, which has always been the strategy of Rent the Runway, where we go from one beta test to the next, we learn something else. So we went from actually having a kind of store within our office 
in New York to then opening up a kind of free space that we got at Henry Bendel's, which was a a department store that was essentially kind of closing down mm-hmm. on Fifth Avenue and 57th Street. They gave us free rent. So we're like, okay, we'll, we'll take that space. Free is usually better than not free. Yeah, free is great. Then we got a really, really cheap space on 18th Street, which was 1,300 square feet. So we kept on kind of evolving the concept. And with each of these iterations, we learned some new things. We had always thought that we're going to convert new customers into Rent the Runway by having physical retail, A, because they can see that the product itself is doesn't look used, it looks brand new, it looks high quality. And there are segments of women that we found, especially women who are 40 plus, who find it to be more comforting to them to try Rent the Runway for the first time in a physical location as mm-hmm. opposed to on mobile or online. Whereas the 17-year-old who's snapping every single it's second, used she's used to it. She will definitely try us on mobile first. So that was the original concept. I really would not have been able to predict all of the cost savings that the store gives us hmm. because of the percentage of the market that wants to pick up their order in store that wants to drop off their order in store, the amount of customers... So saves you on delivery. Saves a huge amount on shipping. It also saves a huge amount on leakage. So we're still in the business of renting clothes. There are times when you will rent from Rent the Runway and the outfit won't fit. Or you just don't like the way it looks on you. Now, in... The 30 miles around New York City or around San Francisco or around Chicago, if you ever have a fit issue, I could actually courier you more units from the store. So what would have been a refund is now cash to my bottom line because I can save the X percent of experiences like that would have gone away. Is nearby. We actually took the model. So for many years, Barry McCarthy, who was the CFO of Netflix, sat on our board mm-hmm. and he taught us with Netflix that when they were in the physical DVD business, having hubs of distribution that were close to the customer actually reduced churn. It increased customer satisfaction because they were always able to get you something quickly. And if you didn't like what you got, you can always get something new within a day. Right. And so to me, opening up retail stores is the exact same strategy. It's having hubs of distribution close to the customer. I'm just also going to monetize them on the top line as well. Your customer, you said, is 29. Woman. Yeah, 29 is the median age. Is the median age. And what do they mostly buy? Is it still a party business or is it or event business or... I can't imagine them renting T-shirts and stuff like that's a, sort of a core part of a wardrobe. For no, we don't rent any T-shirts. No, exactly. You know what <laughs> You're I mean. You're out of luck, Kara. <laughs> out of luck. But what is super popular? and What trends do you see happening? Yeah. So we launched our subscription product right. out of kind of waitlist mode in March, mm-hmm. and it's going to comprise over twenty-five percent of company revenue wow. this year, and that business is really about everyday clothing to wear to work. So right. it's. Dresses that are appropriate for work, blazers, coats, tops, pants, skirts, but things that feel more casual. Mm -hmm. Our events business is still 75% of our business. Now, my expectation is within the next four to five years, subscription is, it's going to flip. Subscription is going to be 60 to 75% of the business, and events will be 25% of the business while still growing. You know, women of all ages still have weddings and holiday parties and New Year's Eve and Valentine's Day Mm -hmm. that they're celebrating. It's just that the events business is primarily about a Saturday night, whereas subscription is about every other day of the week. And what do your profit margins look like when that flip happens? You talk about, I think, being break-even now. Yeah. Is that real break-even or like Silicon Valley break-even? No, it's real. It's real. And so which business is more profitable or should they look the same in terms of profitability over time? Well, if you talk about it, it depends on whether it's from kind of an inventory margin standpoint or you're looking at it from a customer lifetime value standpoint. Clearly, we're making much higher customer lifetime value on the subscriber because not only is she renting and subscribing for $139 a month, it normalizes the behavior of rental to her very quickly because she's using product from us every day. She tends to also consume from our on-demand business as well. So like if she happens to be a subscriber and her sister is getting married and she wants to reserve a specific dress for her sister's wedding, she'll use on-demand. 
And what our on-demand customer delivers in five years, our subscriber delivers twice that in six months. Right. So from that standpoint, that's awesome. However, from the just sheer gross margins, inventory margins of the business, the on-demand business right now is a higher margin product because we've had seven years to iterate it. Got it. Got it. Well, we're here with Jennifer Hyman, the co-founder and CEO of Rent the Runway, a very dynamic online retailer. Well, not retailer, I guess renter. What renter. Are online renter or something. Cloud come. Clothes in the closet. Clouds in the yeah, closet. Yeah. Maybe... Hey, I'd like to be called a SaaS company at some point. All right, you're a SaaS. I will call you a SaaS company. We will not give you those multiples. When we get back, we're going to talk a little bit about what it's like to be an entrepreneur, especially being a woman entrepreneur in today's Silicon Valley tech area, even though you operate out of New York. This episode is brought to you by MParticle, the operating system for mobile marketing and analytics tools. Success as a content or commerce company these days requires you to have a great mobile experience, but the operational complexity is enormous. Legacy web solutions don't work for mobile, and native tools require lengthy integrations, which means a lot of overhead risk and complexity. That's why you need a modern data infrastructure built for the mobile era, where APIs are becoming the primary storefront for brands. MParticle makes it simple to collect data once and integrate all of your tools required to run your mobile business successfully at scale. To learn more, visit mparticle.com decode. I'd also like to tell you about Code Media, an exclusive two-day event that's coming up in February. I'm here with Recode Senior Media Editor Peter Kafka. Hey, Peter. Hello, Kara. How you doing? So, I'm doing uh, Code well. Media is February 13th and 14th at the Ritz-Carlton in Dana Point, California. Peter, tell us a bit about the event and who are we going to talk to? So we're going to talk to the smartest people in tech and media who are not you and me. I mean, uh-huh. you and I will be there. But in addition to that, well, Mossberg is going to be there, too. It'll be very cool. We're going to have people who are doing really interesting things in media, doing really interesting things in technology and things that are, that are related. For instance, we're going to have Roy Price, who runs video for Amazon. Ooh. If you watch Transparent or any of those shows, he's the guy doing that. He's the guy trying to take on Netflix. And he is the guy trying to take on traditional pay TV channels like Stars which is run by Chris Albrecht, who's also going to be there. This is the wow. guy who made HBO, HBO years ago. So he'll be on stage as well. That's so the kind of folk we'll have there. Right? Old, and, old new. and new and new again. So I'm really looking forward to it, and I hope to see some of our listeners there. Code Media is February 13th and 14th in Dana Point, California. For all the details and to get your ticket, visit recode.net slash events. I'm here with Jennifer Hyman, CEO and co-founder of Rent the Runway, an online clothes rental service for women. I'm also joined by Jason Del Rey, Recode's senior commerce editor. So you have the two segments of your business, and then are there any others that you hope to get into more of a community building or anything like that? And then I want to talk about being you're one of the few women CEOs of tech companies. Um, but first, do you imagine other businesses for yourself? You're in physical retail, you're in, you know, you do your events business, your subscription business, anything else? Well, I think that the way that I think about it is not actually separate businesses. It's just offering customers different frequencies with which they are able to rent. And so if you think about a business like Blue Apron, I can choose to subscribe two nights a week, three nights a week, four nights a week, et cetera. You know, with Rent the Runway, we started off where it was very much like, you can rent for a Saturday night, and here's the specific four-day rental that you can have. With Unlimited, we're offering the complete opposite end of the spectrum to say you could take as much as you want for as long as you want, and we're probably going to give you choices in between. So we'll give you a program that's an outfit of the month, an outfit of the week, if you want two outfits a week. Or getting to know you, what you might like. Yeah, so I think that what we're trying to move to actually in 2007 is asking our customer, what's your lifestyle like? How much, what are you spending today on clothing? What's going on for you this year? And making a recommendation to you that's of highest value to you of which of our products you should be using. I'm not trying to direct everyone into the most expensive product because not everyone should have a subscription to fashion and have rented clothes in their life every single day. It doesn't make sense. For instance, for me right now, I'm six months pregnant. Mm -hmm. Thank God for my subscription to fashion because I'm literally changing size every single week. And I actually need to flip out those things. So it's and you saved don't want to keep me. Them. Yeah, it saved me. God knows how much I would have spent in maternity clothes otherwise. 
there's going to be a time in March, God willing, that I actually have a child. I'm probably not going to leave my house for a few months. I I'm have not, clothes for you for I'm that. not going to have to rent anything yeah, yeah. during that period. So I'm going to pause my subscription at that point in time. Mm-hmm. And we'll figure out what I need for when I come back to work. To work. Okay. So let's talk a little bit about being an entrepreneur and specifically a female entrepreneur. Aileen Lee is pressing me. One of your investors is pressing me to ask you this question. She said she may not talk about it, but you should get her to talk about it. Okay. Um, So you're going to talk about it. Great. So. What exactly? What are the challenges from your perspective, experiences? When you first pitched it. Yeah. I think you had some issues with VCs. Yeah, we definitely did. I think that. One of the first things you hear, first of all, we're the only women that most of our investors have ever invested in, mm-hmm. which is sad and pathetic, sad but, uh, and bizarre. Mm-hmm. And what we often heard when we were going around and pitching in the early days, and even in recent rounds, which is even more surprising, was, well, let me uh, ask my wife about this. Oh, oh. Which is the kiss F- of death. F- As the one guy kiss in the room. Kiss of death. Can I, yeah. yeah. Because smart. I do not want you to ask your billionaire wife about whether she's going to rent clothes. Right. She's not my target demo. Mm-hmm. So we would have to think of. What do you say to that? I would be impossible to raise money. I'd be like, you're an idiot. You are an actual. Well, we found out that we had to preempt that conversation. So we started using video in these investor presentations prior to even going through the pitch where we would show who the customer was and let her speak for herself Mm -hmm. about why she was renting and what the experience was. The larger issue, though, is not that. The larger issue is you're given 60 to 90 minutes with a partnership group. And this is a partnership group of people every single day that wear khakis and a blue button-down shirt to work. Mm -hmm. And they cannot think of why having variety in their wardrobe is something that hundreds of millions of women around the world Mm -hmm. are doing. And they, they don't understand that this is... I have to prove to them the data that's already out there. So I'm spending over 50% of my pitch actually on things that when I speak to a woman, Uh it takes me five minutes. Right, yeah. So as opposed to going into the hardcore economics of the business, which is what I want to actually be talking about. You're hand-holding old white men who can't dress. I'm trying to (laughs) hand-hold people through the fact that there's demand for what we're doing. Right. And I think that that's the larger problem in raising money against Rent the Runway or in raising money against a Stitch Fix or a Birch Box mm-hmm. or a Class Pass. And it's about you're given limited time mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. do that. Now, there were also some more interesting things that happened in our earlier rounds with investors who we did not take money from where – you know, I had an investor approach me after what I thought was a, a fabulous pitch, and we'd received four or five term sheets in that round already. And he took my hand in his after the pitch, and he said, you know, this is just adorable. What? Mm. You must be so excited. You're going to have all of these amazing dresses to wear all the time. It's going to be so fun <laughs> for you. <laughs> And this is someone. Can we who, name names on this one? Because I, I can tell. You know later. what? I will write a book at some point, and yeah. I will name his name. Yeah. But what did you say? See, I would. That's I, I where I start I, to hit people. So I, I, I think at that moment, that was for our Series A. Mm-hmm. So it was like two months after we launched the company. So you couldn't be rude. It was more that I was in a state of shock. Mm-hmm. I just didn't understand whether it was a joke mm-hmm. or, you know, had we'd already in our first two months after launch had, you know, 200,000 people sign up for this service and had unbelievable metrics and were, you know, at least deserved the respect of we weren't doing this so that we could wear frilly dresses every right. single day. I didn't know, <laughs> I didn't up. know if it was going to be successful to or not, and but like, big lady shoes. <laughs> that's not so why I started Rent the Runway. Yeah. So I think that that's a challenge. I think that one thing that people don't talk about um, we often talk about 
okay, it's difficult for women to raise money. There's data on that. Only 4% of VC dollars are Mm -hmm. going to women, and it's often in early rounds. So it's very difficult to raise your A, your B, your C, your $60 million round into the company. That's for sure. We often talk about, especially on this show, that you know, men can come in with a more loose idea of where they're going in the future and raise billions of dollars against right. changing the transportation industry or changing the right. hospitality industry. I actually do have that 50-year vision for how I want to power rental on yeah, the internet. Close is a big deal. Close is a, the third largest industry on earth. It's mm-hmm. a $1.7 trillion industry because right. it's one of the things we have to do every day. But I'm not given as much credibility as a woman to have kind of a PowerPoint in a dream sure. and get it's more prove I it need to, to me, show honey. the numbers. Prove it to me. Show it's like you, yeah. I have to come yeah. in with 15 spreadsheets mm-hmm. and like here's exactly what we've done to get that funding. Okay, here's the interesting part. There's 1,200 people that work at Rent the Runway. Mm-hmm. And mostly in New York? New York and New Jersey because our New Jersey is where our DFC Yeah, how many of is. those are like corporate versus the, the big New Jersey facility? Well, we're now divided up into corporate, retail – logistics and we actually have a lot of executives in our New Jersey facility but let's just say right. that we have 600 people who are working in our logistics okay, facility. So here's the thing. The thing is that I find that what's the most difficult is building a culture, recruiting a team of people that genuinely want to work for a female boss. Hmm. That building followership and inspiration around female leadership is something that is quite difficult to do because as women and men, we're not primed and taught to feel that women are as inspirational as men. Yeah, this election, I just noticed that happened. The election. I mean, I I think about some of the most inspirational moments that we learn about growing up. You know, we learn about MLK's I Have a Dream speech. Take that same speech and put it in the voice of a woman. You're right. Would it be as inspirational? Would it have as much gravitas to it? We're taught that a certain type of voice, a certain type of posturing of cadence is something that you should follow. And I know we were at dinner last week. Mm -hmm. I have been obsessed with this election Mm -hmm. and have thought about, okay, what does it mean about female leadership in general? Mm -hmm. And I did this very wrote non-scientific study on Twitter where I took women who had actually achieved great success. So I looked at female Fortune 100 CEOs versus male Fortune 100 CEOs, female venture capitalists versus male venture capitalists, and just looked at how many Twitter followers do these people Mm -hmm. have Mm -hmm. and who's following them Mm -hmm. and found across the board, no matter what the industry was, for women who had achieved that level of success as a man, they were being followed by far less people Mm -hmm. and most of their followers were women, Mm -hmm. whereas men were being followed by both men and women and by more people. So I have found that... You know, I have to work much harder as mm-hmm. a female CEO. What, what are your to lead tools? The what do you do? What do you do to do that? I just yell a lot. No, I don't. <laughs> I mean, yes, I, you do. I, <laughs> I, I think idiot. it's I think it's been a constant evolution and learning process for me as to how do I learn how to lead in the best way possible while the train is moving at a thousand miles an hour. Give a tip. There's a lot of entrepreneurs listening. So one thing that I've done that potentially I've had to do as a female entrepreneur is that I have been unbelievably transparent with my team as it relates to financials and metrics. Mm -hmm. And not only transparent of here's how we're doing, but we've had sessions against the ROI of every single strategy that we have at the company. Now, on one hand, that's because I want everyone to be educated about what we're doing so that great ideas can come from anywhere and that people could actually be entrepreneurial in their jobs. On the other hand, I want this diverse team of people that we have to know that we're making really smart, really strategic, very financially driven decisions in every single area of our business. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's a little bit of me knowing or me assuming that I'm not going to always be given 100% benefit of the doubt 
on that. So rather preempt it and just show you, here's all Mm -hmm. of the numbers behind everything that we're doing. Mm -hmm. So you're more transparent rather than being secretive or keeping things to yourself or being more... um... We're super transparent. I mean, we have thousands of different data reports that anyone in the company can access at any point in time. I think also just making myself as accessible as possible to everyone in the company. I mean, with a company of 1,200 people, I am very present Mm -hmm. in meetings with people that are of every level in the company. And I think that that's important as well for people to get to know me on a personal level, because in a sense, to see a female boss when most people have never had one before, you know, people have very different reactions to it. Sometimes it's actually scary to people Mm -hmm. that for a, a woman to achieve this level of leadership, it must mean that she's a bitch, right? Mm -hmm. It must mean that she's tough or that Mm -hmm. she's mean. So the way that I inspire actually the most loyalty in my team is for them to actually just see me more casually. Mm -hmm. For me to have lunch with members of my team, for them to see me with my family, with my fiance, to see kind of the real me, Mm -hmm. because the expectation is very different than the reality sometimes. Well, there was some coverage. There was, there was a period of time, like in many young companies as you're growing, where some of the executive team turned over and you yeah. brought on and brought on new people. And there were there was some coverage of what the perceived culture and your leadership style was and how that may have contributed to those departures. And I know you had a strong opinion on um, perhaps this coverage would have been different if if it was a man leading the company. Yeah. Do, I, do I, am I remembering that correctly? Yeah, you're remembering it exactly correctly. You know, there was a point in 2015 where I saw my business accelerating, and that's often perceived to be a great thing. Mm-hmm. And I knew that I wanted to take this company to IPO, and I wanted to deliver a multi-billion dollar outcome for all of my investors. I looked around me, and I had had a lot of members of my team who had been with me for many, many years, some of which were not scaling to get us to the next level. Mm -hmm. And I made a decision with the board to change and make very difficult changes on the executive team. And I flipped out basically 50% of my executive team in 2015, hired new folks who all came in last year, and... 2016, as just evidence, is our highest growth year in history. Mm-hmm. We're profitable. We launched two subscription products, Which retail, etc. Which is hard for any leader to do, and especially when, when you get that reaction. I, I, I know the feeling. I know it's the extremely, feeling. It's extremely hard, but what was interesting was I was just making the same business decision yeah, exactly. as anyone else in my position actually has to make. It's either that I'm not qualified to be the CEO of this company because I'm not able to make the tough decisions, or I'm going to make the tough decisions and guide the company towards, you know, the highest level of success that it possibly can. And I think that the reaction towards actually a woman firing someone, Mm -hmm. of which, by the way, I'm not great at firing people, Mm -hmm. like it actually was unbelievably painful and upsetting to do so. But seeing a female CEO who you expect to be nurturing and loving and warm, and most of the time at work, I am all of those things. Mm -hmm. To see me then fire someone, it's such a mind altering. Yes, it's it's such a mind fuck, right? Because you're thinking like, wait, this person gave me a hug yesterday. Yeah, yeah. Like she must be someone totally different than what I thought. I don't know her. I don't know. Yeah, Yeah. I don't. I don't feel like I know her anymore. And it's the same thing around compensation and other issues. I have noticed managing men and women that men ask for more. They just simply do. And and I have to tell you, sometimes when I behave in the style of a man, I tend to do better. Like in terms of embracing some of the more aggressive tendencies. And well, it's a- I think that had I been super tough mm-hmm. for the extent of my business, it would have felt more natural that yeah. I was going to let people go when yeah. I did. But because we people had no d- idea she would. But because people did feel so comfortable, they felt like Rent the Runway was a family. Mm-hmm. They didn't feel like when Reed Hastings says publicly, Netflix isn't a family, it's a sports team. Right. You can get cut anytime. Right. I've never said that about Rent the Runway. Right. We try to create this really loving, 
culture where people feel welcomed. And I think that that's actually very authentic to myself and my team. But at the same time, we're still a business and we have to make tough decisions. Now, the learning process for me from this was to just talk more openly with the company about why we were making the decisions that we were making, leaning into the chaos that it did create. Mm -hmm. I mean, I had a philosophy as well of I'm going to let people go before I've hired new people. Because I think the worst thing in the world is to go behind someone's back and recruit, you know, someone in in this sneaky way without actually doing what is both the hard thing but the right thing to do with just to have a conversation with someone and say like you can't make it you know it's Which not often happens in in smaller startups and, and, and by the way and thank you for everything that you've contributed mm-hmm. to this organization yeah. and let me also serve as a reference for you and help you in this next phase of your career well you're nicer than most people all right we're going to finish up with one last question i ask everybody what do you think the one mistake you've made in the years you've been running this that you would take back or that you learned from or that you could give it to tell an entrepreneur, don't do this, maybe do this. A lot of people have given different answers and just curious what you think. Something that you went, oh, I really shouldn't have done that. And here's what I did to change it. I wish that I had demanded of my board to understand what excellence really was when it came to the people that should be on my C-level team around me. As a first-time founder and a first-time entrepreneur, you know, not only do I not know how to be a CEO, but I have no idea what a CFO is mm-hmm. or what a COO should do. And especially what a, what's the difference between a mediocre, good, and great mm-hmm. CEO and CFO. And what my investors did do is they would often introduce me to people that were so outside the realm of anyone that I'd ever be able to recruit. So, mm-hmm. you know, they would introduce- Too experienced or too high profile or- Way too high profile. I mean, I remember meeting Reed Hastings and really thinking that I was like, it was like meeting LeBron James as Mm -hmm. like a, you know, middle school basketball Mm -hmm. player. Like, this guy's inspirational, but how is this going to help me in my like Mm -hmm. $5 million business that I have right now? (laughs) (laughs) You know, I needed to meet people who were aspirational enough. Mm -hmm. They were two or three steps ahead of me, but they weren't. Right. 300 steps ahead of me. Right. And to see, you know, how those teams really functioned and who I should be hiring and helping me calibrate, sure. you know, talent for different levels of the company. Because yeah. I think that for me, the strategy behind Rent the Runway and the actual work has been the easiest part of growing a business. It's building a team and building a culture, which is 95% of the difficult work and the learning that comes from, you know, prior to Rent the Runway, the biggest team I'd ever managed was like 10 people. Right. And it was like all in one function of sales. And you get, well, that team was actually at a startup called WeddingChannel.com where I was Mm. selling advertising on the internet in the early days. But I had no idea what I was doing. Right. So the mistake is that I didn't demand that my investors really do that for me. And I think that I thought too much about meeting the big names in the industry that, again, are super inspirational, but tactically, they weren't going to show me how I should be changing my own hiring tactics on a day-to-day basis. That's an excellent one. Jennifer, this has been fantastic podcast. We really appreciate it. And you've said a lot of things that are really thoughtful about where I think you're going to be running a very big company someday. Thank or this you. one. Once you're done with this one or whatever you want. I'm not going to be done with this one. This is it <laughs> for me. Right. It's okay. Run the Runway or well, Buzz. We have, it, we have it recorded. We have it recorded. Run the Runway or Buzz. Anyway, thank you so much for coming by and come by another time. It's really Thank you terrific. for having me. If you enjoyed the interview as much as I did, be sure to subscribe to the show. Be the first to listen to future episodes or catch up on previous episodes, including some really fantastic interviews that I've done with Walker & Company CEO Tristan Walker, TV star Kim Kardashian, and political strategist Hillary Rosen and Juliana Glover, just to name a few. All those interviews and more are at recode.net slash decode. Now that you're done with this, why not try some of our other podcasts? Recode Media with Peter Kafka comes out every Thursday. On Fridays, I host Too Embarrassed to Ask along with Lauren Good of The Verge. And on Recode Replay, you can find audio from our events like the Code Conference, Peter Kafka's Code Media, and Jason Del Rey's Code Commerce. 
Thank you for listening. Thank you to Jason. Thanks for coming by. Thank you. And thanks also to Digital Media, which distributes this show. This has been another episode of Recode Decode. Remember to subscribe to the show and leave us a review at iTunes.com slash Recode Decode. I'll be back here on Monday with another great guest. Tune in then. <laughs>